Good to see so many faces out there this morning. You're never sure when it's the middle of summer and it's family camp weekend and so many people are away. Um, just how many people are going to be here on a Sunday morning. But I'm, I'm just excited because I see a lot of new faces. I see a lot of faces that are visiting. Um, and I see a lot of people that I haven't maybe seen for a little while. So um, I'm excited about that this morning. Um, and with that in mind, I thought maybe I should just start um, by doing a little bit of a recap um, to catch you up on where we've been uh, so far in our preaching series this summer. Uh, because we've been talking about the first two kings of Israel. And so we started this series by talking about Saul, about how the Israelites came to God and they said, we want a king. And so God responded, he anointed Saul, and he actually blessed Saul, he placed his spirit on Saul, and Saul's reign started off okay. But then eventually, Saul turned away from God, and in turn, God turned away from Saul. And so things didn't end well for Saul. But But God anointed another king, David. And again, God's spirit was on David, but this time the story is much more positive. David honors God. And so we've talked about how David honored God in his battle against the giant Goliath. And we talked about how David honored God when he spared Saul's life, despite the fact that he was being chased by Saul. And then last week we talked about how David honored God with this worship that was, it just, it wasn't held back. It was unreserved as the Ark of the Covenant was coming into Jerusalem. And so all that brings us this morning to what's going to be our passage uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, So you can turn there if you'd like. But I just want to set the scene a little bit uh, for what's going on here. Things are going really well for David. Um, So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we read that David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. 2 Samuel 7, that's page 219 if you've got a pew Bible. Um, It begins by telling us something pretty similar. Uh, In verse 1, we read that David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies all around him. And so David recognizes the fact that God has blessed him, and David wants to continue to honor God in return. And he notices, hey, I've got this great grand palace, but God's just still got the Ark of the Covenant. He doesn't have a permanent spot. He doesn't have a place where we, as the nation of Israel, can come worship God. And so he has this desire to build a temple. And so he makes this request to God, And then God responds to David through the prophet Nathan. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning, is this response from God. Um, And so we'll read beginning in verse 8. These are the words of God to David through the prophet Nathan. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed." 
Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, you will rest with your fathers, and I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken from him, as I took it away from Saul when I removed him from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And so what's, what's going on here? What's happening? My remote's not working. If you just want to advance it there, Alex. Um, we've got three things happening. First of all, David, as we've already said, is honoring God. And in response, God is blessing David. And God reminds David that he's already done this, but then he promises that he's going to do even more. And so he goes through and he talks about many blessings, but we're just going to categorize those blessings into two main categories this morning. So first of all, God promises David peace. He says, I'm going to provide a place for my people, a land where they will not be disturbed. I'm going to give you rest from all your enemies. And then secondly, God promises that David's kingdom will endure. In other words, he, prom- he promises enduring kingship. And so unlike Saul, whose sons were killed and from whom the kingdom of Israel was taken away, God promises that David is always going to have a son on the throne. He says to David, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to establish your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. The uh, Old Testament writers from this point on, they look back at this promise and they interpret it, and I think correctly so. In books like Jeremiah, they say, David's never going to fail to have a man sit on the throne of the house of Israel. There's this promise of enduring kingship. And so we have these promises that are made to David. And these are the kind of promises that we often call a covenant. So these particular covenant is what we'll call the Davidic covenant. And one of the things that I want us to notice about this covenant, about these promises is that at no point did God put any conditions on these promises. And that actually stands in contrast to some of the other covenants that God makes. So, for example, when the nation of Israel is coming out of Egypt, God makes a covenant with the people of Israel through Moses. And in that covenant, God says, hey, I'm going to bless you, but there's going to be some conditions. You need to worship me. You need to honor me. You need to obey me and stay faithful to me. And if you do those things, then I'm going to bless you. 
But when you don't do those things, there's going to be some consequences. But this promise, the promise to David, is different because there are no conditions. God promises that he will establish David's kingdom. No strings attached. And as we'll see, this is important because David and his descendants are far from perfect. And yet God remains faithful to his promise. And so God promises peace to Israel. He promises enduring kingship to David and his descendants. David is honoring God. Everything seems wonderful. Seems like this would be a great place to end the story. I can just end my sermon there. That's it. Maybe just one more line, and they all lived happily ever after. But there's a bit of a problem, because if I look at my Bible, I'm still pretty close to the beginning, and there's still this huge chunk left to come. Why? Well, we can just flip forward a few chapters, and we'll see that all of these things that we have up on the screen seem to quickly become undone. David had been honoring God, but two chapters later, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. And in doing so, he dishonors God, and then he furthers that by conspiring to have her husband killed. Later on in the book of 2 Samuel, David will go and he will show his lack of faith in God by counting the fighting men. This is clearly something that God takes pretty seriously because the consequence is that 70,000 people end up dying. Okay, you might say, so David dishonors God, but didn't we just say that this promise isn't conditional? So shouldn't things still be good anyway? Well, I mean, maybe, but 70,000 people still died. Where's the peace that God promised in the midst of that? And we can look at those other two things. We can say, well, there's supposed to be peace, but, but really the threat of enemies in the land of Israel never does disappear. And eventually, after a few generations, those enemies start to have victory in battles against Israel. And eventually the land is taken. Israel is exiled from the land. The place of worship that David so desperately wanted to build is destroyed. So much for peace. Well, what about the promise of enduring kingship? Well, it doesn't take very long before David's children start to fall into sin. His own son Absalom ends up leading a rebellion against him. And then Solomon, his descendant who inherits the throne, he does all right for most of his reign, but starts to fall apart at the end. And then his son, well, under him the kingdom is divided in two. And even though David's descendants do stay on the throne for several generations, they often end up being wicked men. They end up being defeated by foreign nations. Eventually they become no more than puppet kings until eventually there's no king at all. And so just a few minutes ago, we were in this wonderful place. Everything was going well. And that's all gone downhill very quickly. So I was reflecting this week on what it must have been like to be the Israelites looking at this promise and seeing all that fall apart. And I thought, 
there's probably some ways that we can relate to that today as well. We can hear the news of yet another mass shooting, of another terrorist attack, whether successful or like one here in Canada this week that um, ended up being stopped, but nonetheless they're happening. We can be watching the Olympics and we can be hearing all these wonderful stories out of there, but at the same time, we hear stories of sex trafficking that's going on at the same time in the same places. And all of this can feel hopeless, can feel like there's so many terrible things going on in the world, can feel like evil is winning rather than good. And even though we have a promise from God, it sure doesn't always look like he's keeping it. And what I want us to realize is that we're not alone in this feeling. Most people at just about every time throughout the history of the world would have felt the same thing. In fact, most of them have probably felt it worse because at least we can look at many of these troubles from afar while they have to live right in the middle of it. And certainly this is the type of feeling that the Israelites would have had through most of their history, including their history after the time that this promise had been made to David. And so we have this question this morning, does God keep his promises to David? And what I want to spend the rest of the time doing is showing you that the answer is yes. God does keep his promises, and I want to show you how that happens. And so first of all, I want to start with David himself. And I want us to think back to what we read from 2 Samuel 7 and to notice that, that yes, it does talk about enduring kingship. It talks about this kind of long-range perspective. But there's also this emphasis on David and his direct descendant. And I think that's important because if we look at the history and if we look at the reign of David, if we look at the reign of his son Solomon, what we'll find is that that was actually the golden age of Israel. Things were pretty good for Israel during those years. Israel would have had its largest borders. She would have had, by and large, victory over her enemies. And so even though, yes, there might have still been some battles, God blessed David and he was victorious in those battles, such that by the time Solomon comes and becomes king, there's largely peace. And the nations around Israel are looking at Israel as the powerhouse. They're paying their tributes to Israel and not the other way around. So things were good during David's reign. Things were good during Solomon's reign. And it's easy to see how the people of Israel during that time would have looked at this promise and they would have said, yes, God is keeping his promise. He's blessing Israel through David and now through Solomon And so I want to say that there's some sense in which the promise is fulfilled in David and Solomon. And yet at the same time, we can't just stop there because we already talked about how things weren't perfect during the reign of these two kings. And we've certainly already talked about the fact that it didn't last. So we need something else. Well, what is it that we're looking for? Um, If we look... At this, if we look at these promises, a promise of peace, a promise of enduring kingship, we'll see that these things are emphasized again and again throughout the Old Testament. Writers like Isaiah 
And um, books like the Psalms talk again and again about this coming king from David. And Alex, if you just want to advance a couple slides here. Yeah, they look for a descendant of David who's going to have enduring kingship and who's going to bring peace. Okay, these same things that were promised to David in 2 Samuel 7. And so we have to ask, is there anyone that meets these three criteria? Well, yes, there is. In fact, it's Jesus. And so that's one of the reasons why when we turn to the New Testament and we get to the very first chapter in the very first book, we have this genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. And we kind of often skip over that. We think it's boring and unimportant. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Okay, enough. But it's actually extremely important to Matthew and it's important to Luke because what it shows us is that Jesus is a direct descendant of David. That's one of the criteria we're looking for when we're looking at the keeping of this promise. And they're showing us, yes, Jesus meets that criteria. And then we've got the second criteria. We need an enduring kingship, something that lasts. Well, again, right at the beginning, in the story of the birth of Jesus, we have an angel coming to Mary and saying that the Lord God will give him, Jesus, the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will not end. He's clearly looking back at this promise. And we don't just have to take the angel's word for it. Jesus actually demonstrated his ability to be the eternal king by rising from the dead. Really, if you think about it, there's no other king that could be the eternal, enduring king. Because no matter how wonderful their reign is, they're eventually going to die. Just like David eventually died. Just like Solomon eventually died. But in his resurrection, Jesus proclaimed victory over death in a demonstration that he is the eternal king. Um, I'm going to leave that point there, but I think I hope that's clear. And if it's not, I'll encourage you, um, go sometime this week, maybe this afternoon, go read Acts chapter 2. Read what Peter writes, in, or what Peter says in the sermon that he gives there, because this is exactly what he's talking about. He's saying, Jesus is this descendant of David who is the eternal king. But we've got one more criteria. We've got this criteria of peace. And certainly when Jesus came, we have the angels singing peace on earth. And we see that that Jesus gives a message of peace. I think Jesus promotes peace in his actions, but yet at the same time, the oppression of the Romans upon the Israel nation continued. And God's people since that time, whether that be Israel, whether that be the church, well, we continue to live in a world of violence and a world of oppression. And so this is the harder one to see. And so we can say, yes, Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises to David, but the promise is actually not yet completely fulfilled. 
Jesus has come, Jesus has been anointed the eternal king, but his reign is not yet fully realized. Because we're looking forward to when he's going to come back and he's going to bring with him this kingdom of peace. And so there is a sense in which God's promise was fulfilled through David. There's an even greater sense in which it was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus and through his resurrection. But we still look forward to the final fulfillment when Jesus will come again. And it's very clear from passages like Revelation chapter 21, the famous passage that that promises a day when there will be no more uh, death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. It's clear from these passages that Jesus is the coming Davidic king who's going to come back and he's going to set the world right. And so we wonder, well, where does that leave us in the meantime? What do we do as people that, yes, maybe we can see the first two pieces, but we're still waiting for that final piece. We're still waiting for the return of our king. Well, in the meantime, we're called to be the people of that kingdom. We're called to live like the people over whom Jesus is the king. And so if Jesus is the king who's going to bring peace, we should be living as people of peace. Our lives and the life of our church as a whole should be glimpses of what that kingdom is like. What is it like to be people of a kingdom where Jesus is king? And I think there's a lot of different ways we can look at that, a lot of different things it can look uh, look like but I just want to highlight a few for you this morning. Um, One is that what I saw when I was out at family camp on Friday night and all day yesterday, I saw a community of God's people um, sharing time together, sharing food together, sharing life together. Um, I think that's a good thing. I think that's important. Um, The community, the fellowship. But I also see glimpses of the kingdom on Wednesday afternoons when we bring in some homeless folks, and we feed them a meal. And it's a lot messier on those Wednesday afternoons because not everything is clear-cut. It's not always as happy and joyful as family camp is. But I think we're able to give them hope. We're able to proclaim the fact that there actually can be release for them from their addictions. We're able to provide them a small glimpse of what it looks like to live in a world where Jesus is king. I think we do that when we have VBS and we invite in all these kids from the community and we give them for three days just a glimpse of what it's like to live in a world where Jesus is king. And I think if Jesus is our king, that also means that we need to understand who our king is. We need to be in scripture. We need to be reading about him. Maybe in particular, we need to be reading the Gospels, the books that tell us about his life while he was here on earth. And then the last thing that I'm going to mention is that it means we need to worship our king. If Jesus really is our king, if he's the king that's been promised, we need to honor him. We need to worship him. And so we come here on Sunday mornings, yes, to learn and yes, to grow 
but also just to honor and praise and worship our king. To say, hey, you're worthy, you're great. Because that's what we do with a king. And so as I close this morning, I hope that this morning you will leave with hope. Hope that in a world where things aren't always right, there's the promise of a king who's coming back and who's going to bring peace and he's going to set the world right. But I also hope that you're challenged. Challenged by the question, what does it mean for me in my life that Jesus is king? In what practical way does that need to change the way that I live? What does that need to change about the things that I do even this afternoon? How am I going to be a glimpse of this coming kingdom? Would you bow and pray with me? God, we just come before you this morning and we thank you that you're faithful. And we thank you for the things that you've promised, the things that you promised to David that are also promises for us. And God, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you for the things that he did here on earth. We thank you especially this morning, God, for the resurrection for the power that was shown there, the victory over death, for what you showed us there that your promises are not just promises that are going to be kept for a while, but but that there's something eternal there. There's something lasting. And so God, we just come before you this morning and we want to worship you, we want to honor you, we want to praise you, God. And we pray that we would be... um, challenge not just to do that with our words, although we certainly want to do that, but God, we give you that, we pray that you would give us the strength to praise you with our actions and our lives as well. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.